This is the Blowzilla Podcast, Episode 1. Tonight, we will be covering Godzilla 1954 and the American adaptation, Godzilla King of the Monsters, starring Raymond Burr. What is up, Goji fans? This is Goji Fan ninety three. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, welcome <laughs> to the Brozilla podcast. Um, I'm here with Creationzilla, also known Hello. as Will, and then Tyrant Gojira, also known as Tyler. Sup? And my name is Christian from Son of Sebo. And that being said, I have one question that I've really been wanting to know the answer for the 20 years of life that I've existed. Why is Red King called Red King? He is not red. (laughs) I I believe the only time he was red was in Ultraman Powered. And that was the only for the male Red King. Yeah, I actually, I would agree with that. I think that's what they did. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that was an interesting dynamic. They did do the female and the male Red King. But, yeah, I, that's a really good question, though. I, I don't know why they decided to call him Red King. Or so why just... they decided, decided to model him after a cop of corn. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so, uh, if I'm not wrong, AJ Subaraya, he is passed away already? Uh, yes, I believe so. I think that was a couple okay, of years so ago, actually. I would... Um, and no dis you know uh, it's a very sad situation but i would say we need to get the ouija board out and we need to figure this out because <laughs> i will not rest until i figure out the answer to this but either way i wanted to i wanted to open up on a uh, on a little a little uh light note but that being said I've been thinking about this, and I've been seeing a lot of, like, complaints about, like, recent kaiju media, and it's really made me think, like, being a Godzilla fan especially, but I mean a kaiju fan in general, I feel like this moment is, like, one of the best moments you could be. We have uh, Godzilla vs. Kong coming out basically next week. Um, Godzilla's singular point, for me, is looking great. Um... Shin Ultraman's coming out later this year. And I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing. Like, oh, there's a Kong Skull Island anime. That's pretty cool. Um, Pacific Rim The Black just came out. I have not watched it yet. I don't know. I'm just listing off things. I feel like people like to find things to complain about. But I'm really thinking, like, this is, like, one of the best times to be a kaiju fan. Yeah, it's really interesting how things have turned around because I would say after 2004 with Final Wars up until 2014, that was kind of a sucky time to grow up as a kaiju fan. You you know, we weren't getting any of the Godzillas from Japan, really, and there just wasn't any media, but now here we are. Since about 2013 with the release of Pacific Rim, we have just had, 
I think we've had some sort of kaiju film every single year since. So it's just kind of funny how it went from one of the worst times to be a fan of the franchise to we are living in what could be considered another golden age of monsters. A new kaiju renaissance. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, um... It's like with the, uh, the Roaring Twenties and the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the Great Depression. It's like that, but the opposite. Mm. Like, the Great, the Great Depression, the, the, the dark times, was 2004 to 2014, and then we suddenly got, well, maybe that means there's another Great Depression coming around. No, 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 sh- don't Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Where's Listen, the wood? All, Knock on wood. <laughs> all I'm saying is, it depends how, on how... Godzilla vs. Kong does in the box office, but like literally, there's nothing else coming out, so I'm pretty confident that they're gonna make some money. And I get like they're yeah. not all the theaters are out and all that, but they're definitely making money through HBO Max. I just saw that in the UK, where they don't have HBO Max or the theaters open, they're putting it on rental, like a pay per view. Mm. Oh, so, like, okay. <laughs> they have, you know, I, I think I think Canada is kind of shorted right now, but hopefully they'll announce something soon for them. But, um, well, and think about how many people just got HBO Max solely to watch Justice League. Their month's not over yet, so, I mean, they'll probably be tempted to... Even if they didn't get HBO Match, Max to watch Godzilla vs. Kong, they'll still probably end up doing it because they've got that subscription for a month. I mean, you Yeah, could for do, sure. I mean, I feel like um, the movie will do oh, decent in America because, you know, the virus and all that, people would be more wary. But overseas, I feel like it's going to do tremendous. Like, especially with Asian countries. Um, Japan's basically open. Like, they dealt with the COVID situation, and I think they're mostly good right now. Like, they're mostly open. Yeah, China's um, going to eat that movie up. China loves giant monster <laughs> movies. Um, yeah. they, like, um, China was actually the biggest point of revenue for both Rampage and The Meg. Oh really? That make mm-hmm. I mean I, that makes sense. I I believe that. Um, yeah, I mean you can't really like discount a movie's box office until it runs through China, because like China yeah. like I think Godzilla King of the Monsters did really poorly in the states, and then China brought it into profit territories. It still well, was barely in profit, but with King of the Monsters, the problem was timing. You got all these movies coming out. Detective Pikachu, Avengers. It was sandwiched between every one of them. Yeah, that was that was b- very bad time. And that's why I think there's literally no other movies competing against Godzilla vs. Kong. Like, the closest thing yeah. would be Justice League. But everyone's already watched Justice League who wants to watch it. So, like... And it's not it's not a competition. If you get HBO Max, you can watch them both. Also, Justice League is not coming out in the theaters. So if you want to see a movie in the theaters and you have that itch, Godzilla vs. Kong is your movie. Um, I mean, I think and, Godzilla vs. Kong is going to be the first movie I've seen in theaters since Sonic came out. <laughs> yeah. Dang, that's that's quite a little while. But yeah, for me, I don't, I can't think of the last time I might have. The last movie I might have seen in theaters might have been Godzilla King of the Monsters, actually. Jeez, oh. you said I, mine was a long time? Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> about that. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're you're kind of... It actually has been a while. Because, I mean, I had chances where I could have seen movies in theaters, but nothing caught me. Nothing had me. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. And I believe, mm-hmm. you know, Godzilla vs. Kong was supposed to come out in 2020. There were yeah. some other movies I wanted to watch that were going to come out in 2020 that were, you know, that kind of... 
That was that was an unfortunate situation to be sure. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy to believe it's been a year now. But um, also another thing I was hearing, or I mean, you know, I heard mentioned that I was thinking about today, is that. So you would think the overlap between Godzilla and anime fans would be pretty big, but it's not really. And it's kind of interesting that, like, you know, they had the Godzilla anime trilogy, but, you know, the general opinion on that isn't too great. I haven't gotten (laughs) through them. But Godzilla Singular Point seems to be hitting those right anime notes, if if that makes sense, to where I think Mm. that... This that might be just as big, if not a bigger, opportunity for Godzilla as a whole to get a new audience. Because you have a lot of these people who just watch the anime as it comes out, and if this, if the writing comes out, you know, if it's a good show, they you might have new Godzilla fans. And I don't know how much y'all have seen. I actually I looked, I watched the trailer a couple more times. I'm in love with that opening already. Um, yeah, that, the opening, yeah. Uh, but there was something I noticed, and I, wa- I wanted to see if y'all caught it. Uh, and I'm sh- sure y'all have. But they mentioned that uh, Anguirus, or I think they call him Anguillus. I don't know, whatever you want to say. Well, I'm going to call him Anguirus. Hey, they Anguillus. Mentioned, they something, <laughs> <laughs> something about uh, um, Anguirus. Maybe Anguirus is not... You know, like maybe Gengiris is looking directly into the future or the past or something like that, and it's like yeah, I, I did see a clip with something like that. I have no idea where the story's going, and I'm so excited because like they showed us so much action in there in that last trailer. Like the first two trailers were like slowly showing us a little bit. This last mm-hmm. trailer kicked it out of the ballpark. I'm I'm so excited, and I'm like I think you know we've one thing I should say is for y'all listening at home. We attempted to record this once. There were some major te- technical difficulties. So this discussion, we've kind of already briefly had. However, I need to mention that I was not really into Singular Point from what I saw the first two trailers until this last trailer. And now I'm probably as excited, if not more so, than Godzilla vs. Kong. With um, Singular Point, my point of view is it's pretty much... A loose adaptation in a way to the prequel novels, the anime trilogy. Like, it has the same theme going for it kaiju infestation, which is a terrifying prospect. And from what we've seen so far, they're executing it pretty well. Yeah, I've definitely grown that point. And I, I was initially kind of upset when I heard that it was coming out so close to Godzilla vs. Kong, but now that I think about it, that might be a genius decision on their part because how many people are going to be riding off of Godzilla vs. Kong and want some more monster action and what's Japan gone and done? They've gone and ordered a, I think it's a 12 or 13 episode series of what seems like every episode's going to have some action. I mean, I don't know if you both saw that uh, Rodan clip. I think Chris, you shared it with me, but even that little bit of stuff was super interesting. You know, it's more than just your standard oh big scary evil monsters attacking it seems like there's something more going on right it seems like uh it seems more like a crisis you know like yeah yeah one thing i I wanted to oh sorry uh you go ahead all right i'll make it fast i don't want you to forget your thing um it seems not not that a kaiju 
is a crisis on its own, but it seems like there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. Like, there's just some sort of dark, you know, agenda going on. Yeah, there's some huge mystery here, and it, it, I'm very excited to see it. But from what I've seen of just the action scenes, I'm, you know, as kaiju fans, a lot of times we kind of you know right off like or we'll forgive the human story a lot of the times if we get mm. our monster action the mainstream audience is not like that and especially like the anime fans anime fans do generally like they enjoy spectacle for sure but generally anime especially compared to like american cartoons and mo honestly a good amount of media to be honest in my opinion has a higher writing standard and i think that if they can bring that here I think that that'll, like, I, I kind of see the bits of it already. Like, I see the makings of a good anime. And one thing I wanted to point out is, however the show comes out, even if the show comes out really bad, I still think the, the, the way they're going about it is the way they should go about human storylines in a Godzilla movie, anime, whatever you want to say. Like, the main characters seem heavily involved, and... Especially, like, the idea of, like, you know, like, they built this jet jaguar to fight. So you mm -hmm. get you get the human story integrated. It's not like, oh, we're cutting from humans to monsters. No, it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of you know, obviously you're going to have a scene of Godzilla where it's going to be separate from the human. But for the most part, they are one story, and I like that. I don't, I think that this whole, your monster movie has to be let's jump from human scene to monster scene. I think there's something, I think it's a formula that's been overdone, especially in the Godzilla series, and I think that I really am excited to see how Singular Point does with this. I feel like the only time in the Godzilla they've achieved it, besides possibly Singular Point, believe it or not, was the 1998 animated series. Hmm. Yeah, they definitely had really good human characters. They had likable humans to where when they were on screen, you didn't really feel like, oh, okay, come on, let's let's get to the monsters. They had enough character and substance to them that they could carry the show for, you know, animation budgets or whatnot until Godzilla could show up. You, you were left entertained. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that yeah, there's definitely two ways to go about it. I think, like, with the animated series, I would still feel like it's almost kind of that type of typical Godzilla setup, but I think the difference is you have good characters that you like. Mm. And I think that there's two ways to go about making the humans interesting. One is you write good characters. But as we've seen, for example, the MonsterVerse is having a little bit of trouble with that. Mm -hmm. um, however... The other way is, like, the singular point, I, from what I can tell, we don't know much about the characters, but I'm interested just because the characters are actively involved with the plot. Um, but another thing is, like, there's, there's Godzilla movies that show that working. I think Godzilla against Mechagodzilla has good human characters that are very active in the plot, like, actually piloting Godzilla's opponent. Um, and then mm. Godzilla Final Wars... While the characters are basically, like, there's basically no characters. Like, there's, the writing is not really there. It's just whatever happens, happens. But the characters are, like, you know, they're, again, they're involved in the story. And when they're on screen, they're doing something interesting. Whatever you want to say about Final Wars, 
Because the Final Wars, I wouldn't say, is necessarily a good movie. You're not going to watch Final Wars and be bored. And I think that's the biggest thing people <laughs> have problems with the monster movies and, like, the monster versus Sometimes the humans can be boring when, like, they have no character and they're just sitting there. But let's say you throw in, you know, humans piloting a mech or uh, Matrix-style fight scenes or Dawn Fry. Like, those type of things can liven up the human scenes. Now, again, we would prefer to have good writing and good characters, but there's ways to... It's almost like a fail-safe. Like, now that we see what, the, like, is happening in the anime with the, uh, the characters and how involved they actually are, like, even if those characters aren't the greatest characters, we'll still be entertained by those scenes, hopefully, because... I, th I think I've gotten my point across. Essentially, give your human character something to do besides politics. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, I'd rather have characters know if they're going to be poorly written, regardless of whatever, at least let them be entertaining. Yeah, I don't exactly. want to be stuck with the boring background cast. And, you know, I would kind of agree that is kind of the MonsterVerse's problem. I think the MonsterVerse has a couple of characters here and there that are great. They're written well. But then everybody else is underwhelming, especially compared to those characters that are well done. I think Kong Skull Island probably has the best overall cast of characters. Whether or not they're, you know, written well or not is up in the air. But I was entertained by the human cast the entire time of Kong Skull Island, yeah. where so, that's kind of debatable in the other films. What I would say with Kong Skull Island is I think it's much as you're correct it also points out the problem with the monster versus human writing because okay so this is a line i have for a video i'm still working on i need to get done but the kong skull island retrospective this line i had written i felt genius about it but essentially i pointed out that despite kong skull island having samuel L. jackson uh tom hiddleston uh john c Riley, uh John Goodman, some of the really great actors. Even Brie Larson's pretty good in that movie. All these actors, they they forget to write for those <laughs> actors. So Kong Skull Island has an entertaining human characters because these actors stood up to the, you know, they, they came up to the challenge and they, you know, they outdid themselves and they p did good performances. But, I mean... If you really look into it, besides, in my opinion, John C. Riley, his story, as brief it is, is, is pretty touching. I do like that part. Um, uh, besides that, like, there's no nothing interesting. There's nothing interesting there. What it is is it's the same thing with Godzilla Final Wars, where while you're watching, you're not thinking about that because you're thoroughly entertained by what's going on. There's no stop. It's go, go, go. And right. I think that's good. But, um, again... I would say, personally, I think the best written film out of the, the MonsterVerse trilogy is uh, Godzilla 2014. But even it makes some sketchy decisions. Yeah. And really, for me, I've always... I, I enjoy that film quite a bit. I think that the writing is pretty good. But I think the writing is good plot-wise, and I think the characters are still lacking for the most part. Like, here's the thing about MonsterVerse films... If you're even slightly written interesting, you are dead. 
Yeah. <laughs> Serizawa, yeah, uh... Brody's father, John Goodman's character. Um, in the deleted scene, Emerald Stans was killed off by Ghidorah. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, it was a deleted scene. He recorded a final transmission before dying. Also, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character. All the interesting characters... It's a death sentence in this universe. Monsters hate yeah. well-developed characters. <laughs> okay, well, so... They always John, kill them off so early, too. John C. Wiley is actually an example of someone who survived, but I think he's technically dead because he was old. But he survived <laughs> his movie. Um, um, I mean, he survived because he's comedic that, relief. Yeah, <laughs> but, like... Uh, I don't know about y'all, like, the, the ending little highlight reel at the end of Kong Skull Island, I felt like had more story than the rest of it, because, like, it had, like, that, you know, showing him going home and all the little things, like, you know, seeing his really family. Touching. That was touching. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, no, I, I want to point something out, though. When I'm saying all of this, I think all the monster scenes in these movies, like, not even a few of them, all, I think almost all of the scenes have good story if that makes sense and even good character like i think godzilla as weird as it is to say is a good character i think kong and kong school island are good characters i think it's just that they're the you know how it's structured they are sort of the afterthought so we look at the actual human characters does that make sense like i think yeah, the, yeah. the writing is good in the monster scenes i'm seeing what you're saying yeah i agree with that it's kind of funny thinking that these these characters who are gigantic they can't talk some of them can't even really express their emotions very well almost act and perform better than these characters these human characters do in these films yeah in a way like um these monsters are characters that's something a lot of the general audience forgets and i think it's because they don't appear as often people you know like christian said turns to the human characters to fill in the gaps and they kind of falter in that aspect Yeah. Alright, so one thing I'm going to look up real quick now. I should have had this on hand. That's some unprofessionalism by my part. Uh, okay, yes, I found it. So, um, have y'all guys seen the early reactions for Godzilla vs. Kong? Not reviews, they're not allowed to give details. Just the early reactions of the people who got to see the film. I heard they're mostly positive, though... It's the same criticism. The human characters falter, but the monster scenes are spectacular. So are we talking like early completed version of the film, or are we going way back a couple of years, like test this is a, reactions? This is March 21st so called, is when oh, all okay. these tweets come out, and these are all what the film is. It's just like the pre-screenings that, like, you know, like, you know, I, I'm sure you heard some people actually did get to see the film early. I don't know who who or when, but some of these people tweeted off about it. Uh, if y'all don't mind and you're interested, I'm going to read a few of them that are noteworthy, and then we can discuss it briefly. Sure. Um, so this first one. As expected, and probably as it should be, the Titan fights are the best parts of Godzilla vs. Kong. Adam Wingard definitely has the eye to make the most of those moments. Still don't think they've nailed how to incorporate human characters, but the top-notch ensemble helps. Which, okay, that literally kind of describes exactly what I was talking about with Kong vs. Island <laughs> and the rest of them, so. Still same problems it's looking like. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like sometimes, you know, a top-notch cast does not matter if you don't have good characters. Right. You could get the best actors of all time, and they will they will act in a way that improves the characters better than they were just on the script. But you're kind of wasting the potential of those actors if you're not writing more in-depth characters for them to portray on the screen. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, one, you're really just distracting people from the fact there is no character. And the Mm -hmm. thing is, like, I think it can make a movie enjoyable while watching, but a movie will never become, like, an all-time classic that way. And and the second thing is, I mean, like you said, you take a... You take a bad character and they have a great actor and they elevate them up to an okay character. I mean, that's kind of the limit they can do. But if you take... Like, even, like, if the characters are getting decent, like a decent character, you get a really good actor on that and that character can become a great character. Right. Um, but if you, you're starting with, like, a, a, a blank slate, a character with no personality, they can only do so much. Right. Unless they, you know, improv. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like the MonsterVerse has really provided the foundation for these characters that some actors kind of need and absorb. I mean, some ca- some actors in films get these huge booklets of in-depth details of their character, and they can really embody that character. I don't know if any of these actors, maybe aside from Sarazawa, really have been able to do anything like that. What do y'all? Uh, what is the name of the character of the guy or that plays the main male lead in Godzilla: King of the Monsters? I forgot his name. Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. I no, maybe it's again. It might just be that he's a good actor, but I did I did sympathize for his character in King of the Monsters, and I think that there's enough there that potentially he is in this new movie. He could potentially be a highlight if they push further on that. And, I mean, you could also talk about Millie Bobby Brown, um, but, um, again, it all depends on if they give them stuff to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, honestly, I don't know if, about y'all, but from what I've seen of these trailers, it really seems like there's actually, like, again, there's definitely going to be more human scenes than monster scenes, but considering the runtime of this film is an hour and 53 minutes... I really feel like there's going to be a lot less human scenes than we've seen so far. I think with how much monster scenes we've seen just in the trailers and the fact that, you know, there's rumors of like a final fight being five minutes straight of Godzilla versus Kong with no cutaways. Oh, wow. I don't know if y'all heard that. If that actually happened, like there's a lot of monster fighting in this movie. Cause like not to mention uh, the one we shall not mention and, the uh, the flying bat creatures and all that like there's more than just Godzilla versus Kong in this movie, yeah. so I really think that the human characters, I think that in this movie of of anything, the human characters don't actually matter as much as they would even in the last MonsterVerse movies. I think they just need to get the plot moving along at a quick pace. Yeah. Um, speaking I wonder of, if they will reference Kyle Chandler's role at all in the. He's one of the only actors who has ever been in a Godzilla... I think he might be the only actor who has ever been in a Godzilla movie and a King Kong movie that aren't from the same universe. Because he was in Peter Jackson, King Kong. Yeah, that's funny. Yes, yes, I remember seeing that. Do you, th- um, do you think... Yeah, I, oh, I was going to ask, do you think he'll be typecast? 
he's just he's he just acts in all the all the uh, American monster movies from now on. Um. Now I don't know. I I I enjoyed from what I saw of him in this in King of the Monsters, and I do think that the little brief stuff I saw in the trailer could be interesting. But they also do have quite a big cast in <laughs> Godzilla vs Kong, which. Again, with this and the early reactions makes me entirely believe none of these characters will have any real depth. Probably the most depth we'll get out of any character is... Okay, was well, it probably actually Kong? <laughs> we've, uh, from some of these teasers, Kong knows sign language now. Yeah. And he seemed... Like, the sadness in his face when he sees... Like, in that one teaser when he sees that he's on a fake Skull Island. Like, they've really done that well. Like, obviously... I can assume we're all here, all here on the the Bros Little Podcast, rooting for Godzilla. But at the same time, they're doing a really good job of making Kong a sympathetic character. Yeah. Yeah, I will say this: if we if they weren't going the whole route of Godzilla's kind of gone rogue, gone evil, I would probably be on Team Kong. But the the kid in me. Knowing that this Godzilla's kind of, you know, at least from the trailers, we're seeing him actually destroy the city and stuff. That I'm, I've got to be on his side for that. <laughs> He's causing bait, mayhem, Walton destruction. I'm with him. Yeah, <laughs> Will's like, if Godzilla's a good guy, I want Kong to win. But if Godzilla's destroying everything, well, I mean, I gotta vote for him now. If um, Godzilla's acting like Godzilla, then I'm Team Godzilla. Godzilla's acting like Gamera, then I'm Team Kong. <laughs> I, I was just, I was just about to say that. <laughs> oh, at some point we have to have a full podcast on Will Will breaking down why Godzilla 2014 is just Gamera Guardians of the Universe. <laughs> hey, yes, we we should do that at some point because it is. And if you've never made those connections, watch both films back. You're not a real kaiju fan, and you should just revoke <laughs> your card. Hey, can I copy your homework? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a good, good, good homework to copy. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ro- even Roger Ebert loved that movie. Yeah, I remember. I remember watching the Roger Ebert tearing down Godzilla nineteen ninety eight. That that makes me happy. Either way, we um, I I'm gonna run through a couple more of these little things. I'm just gonna read them out. Uh, this next guy says. I've seen Godzilla vs. Kong, and it is grade A awesome. The monster brawls are badass and beautiful. Huge fights, all well designed and super gnarly. Solid story. Interesting. Strong cast, really good score. A true midnight monster movie and favorite of the four modern Godzilla Kong movies. So here they said there was a solid story and a strong cast. With strong cast, we already knew. Solid story probably means... For me, probably means like I'm on the level of Godzilla 2014. Like it's it it does its job, but it's nothing to write home about. Um, got Godzilla versus Kong is fun, vibrant, action-packed, and energizing. GVK lives up to the heavyweight match it advertised with amazing visual effects and action sequences. This movie is selling a spectacle, and that's exactly what audiences will get. That's all I'm gonna read. That's basically what they go over. Um, it's um, if I may um. With me, monster movies, it's like, if it's good, that's great, but as long as they're entertaining, I'm sold, you know? Like, you, sometimes you don't want to watch an Emmy Award winning, like, performance, sorry, Oscar winning performance, maybe sometimes you just want to watch, you know, something turn another thing apart, or, like, 
you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. I think it's hard to get a monster movie wrong, but I also think it's hard to make a great monster movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it is very easy for you to throw two creatures together and have them duke it out. That's easy. Outside of that, I think that's where some of these films fall apart. Right, a good story. I'm, I'm sold in a monster movie if, if I get my popcorn fight. Right. Like, making a monster movie, it's easy. Making a good story around that movie isn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, so, like, I mean, some, sometimes you don't need a story. Sometimes you don't need, you know, we, we don't need to watch The Godfather or Schindler's, Schindler's List. <laughs> maybe, maybe we want Mike Tyson knocking a guy out in 90 seconds. That's fun. Yeah. And so when you bring yeah. that, and then you have, instead of humans, you got giant monsters with destroying the city, you know, that could be pretty entertaining. And the thing is, especially with fights, there's a reason fights are in almost all type of story because fights are kind of like in our nature. So like mm-hmm. fights now the best fights tell a story within the fights. That's something that's where like stuff like pro wrestling gets its entire uh, that's how they operate. So if you're really talking about like a great monster movie so a great monster movie can get away with not even having an amazing you know, main plot if you have the story told through the actions and the fighting of the monsters. Because, And again, this is something I definitely recommend. I know Tyler watches a little bit, but pro wrestling teaches you a lot about how you can tell a story through the fight with no words. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, it, it, if they can pull that off, I think the best Godzilla movies, to be honest, do pull that off. And um, I kind of think that's probably where Godzilla King of the Monsters is a strong suit for me. Because I think all the, like, if you cut out all the human scenes, you still have some sort of story here that's pretty, like, comparable. You have a battle over the crown. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a, you, I think I've been, mainly got my point across. Yeah. There, but I think that. Godzilla versus Kong, I definitely think, from what I can tell, is going to win on that point. Which, um, I'd say it would be a good time to go ahead and move on to our main topic of the podcast. So, to quickly, uh, I guess to quickly summarize... How this is going to work. Each episode of the podcast, we will be going in order, starting from the original Godzilla film, and going up till we've seen every Godzilla film. We've had an episode for each one. And we're going to do that, we're starting now with Godzilla 1954, example, next episode will be Godzilla Raids again, then King Kong vs. Godzilla, etc. Um... And we're just going to go ahead and watch them each week, give our thoughts. Uh, some of them, for example, I have not seen some of the Godzilla films. There's about five I have not seen. I believe y'all have all, or y'all both have seen every film. Mm-hmm. But, yep. um, so it'll be, honestly, a few of them will be new experiences for me. But most of it will be us re-watching films that we may have not watched in a minute. And kind of giving our 
I guess, new thoughts and as well as, you know, maybe analyzing it a little bit, especially with the, today's uh, episode. We're going to be going over Godzilla 1954. And as a bonus, we're also going to be covering the Godzilla King of the Monsters adaptation that came out in 1956. And with that being said, um, does anybody have any uh, any opening statements on uh, this film? Um, would I? Can I go first? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sound like a student in school. May I use the bathroom? <laughs> um, when, when it comes to the original 1954 film, it's it's you look at it differently compared to every other monster film, not only in that genre, but every movie in the series. It's not a monster movie in the traditional sense. It's disaster. It's a tragedy. Like, um, when you usually see Monster Rampages scene, you just, you know, you get pumped. It's exciting. It's thrilling. You're on the edge of the seat. But here, like, you feel a great sense of dread, like, like, the way they give, of course everyone knows that this film was inspired by not only the Lucky Dragon incident, but the bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's a good, the way they use Godzilla as a metaphor for the atomic bomb, since they experienced it firsthand. It's powerful, like, the way they show his rampage, the way he, they show people suffering, it's, it's Practically haunting, really. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's definitely a much, it's definitely the darkest film in the series, and it's definitely the most important film in the series. Like, I feel, and it's kind of hard to recommend this to modern audiences, but this is the one film if I could get everybody to watch and actually like not just watch the film, but actually understand and pay attention and. I, you know, understand. I mean, this is the m- most important film, if that makes sense. This film yeah. has the most to say, and whether you enjoy the other films or not, I find it hard to disagree that this film, obviously it started at all, but more than that, I mean, this film was a, a product of its time that shows a country trying to grapple with the losses and the horrors it had faced. And I think that um, it greatly succeeds at that. And I believe it's one of the, like, even past kaiju films or anything, it's one of the the greatest films I've ever seen. It's like, when you watch this film, like, say I watched the Rampage scene between... Sorry, watch the rampage scene of this film, and then just watch the trailer from Godzilla vs. Kong. It's hard to believe that the series is still going, but and the tone has changed so drastically. Mm-hmm. It, like, you still get that message, you know. Oh, he's a creature lost from time. He's just as much as a victim He's a, of the bomb as Japan was. And, you know, these weapons are devastating. Don't, don't mess with nature. Like, you get that sense, but... You don't get that same feeling of dread of melancholy. It, yeah, there's something this uh, the the overall tone of this film, which is definitely in, it helped by the cinematography. I think the cinematography is very underrated in this film. The score, uh, of course, Akira Fukube 
great score. It's so great that people are still tearing into, uh, tearing into every new Godzilla film that doesn't feature it. Um, <laughs> it it's it's all combined into like okay, I think there's one scene that perfect perfectly encapsulates uh, how how this film hits you, and I think it's when you have this uh, this woman holding her two children like behind an alley. And she like they're they're like they're scared obviously and they're crying. Godzilla's been rampaging through the city, and she, I believe she says something along the lines of "Don't worry, don't worry, we'll be with Daddy soon," which is yep. implied that he died in the atomic bombing, and then they're essentially meeting the same fate. And that that moment every time it gets to me, Louie does like pull at me. Uh, and on top of that, I think there's another scene with a. Uh, the an actor I forgot I forgot the specific uh I believe his brother gets crushed under dur- during the village attack scene mm-hmm. uh, and I remember him screaming out for his brother like was some of the best acting I've seen period and it was just like just raw emotion and like with a lot of these old Godzilla films you see very basic or corny acting especially like in the uh, Showa era not counting like you know there's a few exceptions i think but generally like the acting it's not it's nothing to write home about i think seeing how real and raw that felt i could really feel it felt real and i think part of it is because these were emotions that people in japan at that time were really in tune with the fact that the woman just flat out kind of meant to her children that they're probably gonna die it's just uh, it's just like a dagger to the heart, you know. Yeah, there are definitely some moments in this film that make your your stomach hurt and your heart sink a little bit. Like, uh, the one that always gets me is after Godzilla's attack on Tokyo, when they're in the hospital and the daughter's just screaming and crying. That always makes me want to start crying, honestly. Like- <laughs> I mean, and like you guys mentioned before, you know, the village attack and then the will be with Father Soon. Those were two uh, two other scenes I'd made notes about, but... Uh, there's just such emotion in this film that you feel. Part of what really helps bring this movie to life for me is the music. Like, the way it's recorded, like, even the uplifting music, it doesn't feel, like, bright. It feels, you know, if ominous, you know? Like, even the music... It's like a, it's like a calm before the storm. It's like a... It's, <clears throat> it, this, it, this isn't really... Like, it's like... It's almost like... Like you're kind of pushing it to the back of your head. Like you, you hear that theme and it's kind of happy, but it's like, like I think oh, a perfect example is the uh, the military theme. The military theme does this thing where it's like, uh, bum, 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 yeah, it feels triumphant. That, like that, yeah. But really, it's like it's like false confidence. It's like it's like they're trying their best. This is Japan's best, and then immediately you just see it. You know, you see what happens to it. I mean. That that theme is a, is a notable one, but there's some other ones as well. I definitely see what you're talking about with that. Yeah, and with that military theme, I don't know if you know or not, but before Ifukube worked on Godzilla with Toho, he actually composed music for the Japanese military, and that was, of course, it was composed a little differently, but that was one of the military themes he composed for the Japanese militia. Oh, wow. 
thing. Like, the, yeah, honestly, that makes so much sense because it does feel like very authentic, authentic in that way. Yeah. Once one track I find notable is like the music that's on the cruise ship. It sounds, you know, you know, you heard the ukulele, but it doesn't feel like oh these. It doesn't feel like oh this is genuinely going to be a fun moment. You know, it feels you know disingenuous. That's the best word I could, mm-hmm. I could say for yeah. it. Disingenuine. Like, they're trying to cover up the fact that strategy can come up at any moment. Yeah, for sure. This is, I mean, and all this, we haven't even really talked about the main plot, which I would say, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of competition, let's be honest, but definitely some of the best human characters in any of the Toho Godzilla films. Uh, now, do these characters... I think these characters are not characters in the way of they have very interesting personality traits or that type of thing. I think these characters do a good job of expressing, again, the theme of the film and what's going on uh, and what what it was like at that era of Japan. Uh, particularly... Um, I mean... You have a you even have this little love triangle here, but the love triangle like while being an element of the story that's interesting, it does not overstay its welcome. Like it's it's all it's so like uh like it's so good about that that you don't really like if when when I say that there's probably some people listening to this being like was there a love triangle in there and it's like yeah there there was but the it made sure not to override the main point of the film, and I think that. Dr. Sarazawa's character is the clutch in this whole thing. Maybe Dr. Yamane has a very important role as well. Uh, but uh, you have Dr. Yamane talking about like the, the contrast of like nature and you know, you know, the innocence of this creature that technically doesn't you know, this creature is as much of a victim as we are. And then in the same contrast you have doc Dr. Sarazawa who's struggling with bringing another world-shattering weapon into the fray. And that's the last thing he wants to do. After experiencing the atomic bombs, this this country does not want to create uh, something even worse. Well, I don't recall if he was there when Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened, but well, I do recall he experienced the Pacific Conflict himself. That's how he lost his eye. Um gunshot oh okay so i should i should say i don't want to mean that he directly experienced it but like this country as a whole yeah has been suffering through it oh right but yeah. i see what you're saying I, d- I did not know that so he was in the military is is something i a detail i missed yeah um yeah, i don't think i even know that you know why he had an eye patch <laughs> I'm not he, I, will admit, I he's thought... definitely a character that's grown on me throughout the years. I I didn't like Sarazawa as a kid, but I'm sure a lot of people didn't because, I mean... Okay, hang on. Spoiler alert for a film that's almost 70 years old, but... <laughs> Alright, let's give people a second just in case they've not seen that, even though we're reviewing it right now. <laughs> he, he kills Godzilla at the end of the film. Of course, he sacrifices himself, what? but I mean... Are you... That, wait, really? <laughs> you son of a... <laughs> I'll strangle you for this... <laughs> And of course, I, I mean, <laughs> even as, I mean, this wasn't my first Godzilla film, but I still liked Godzilla, even though, you know, he's killing people, talking and everything. I had a little disdain for Sarazawa growing up because he killed Godzilla. 
But, uh, you know, now that I'm, I've grown up and I can un- appreciate the story for what it is, I, he really has evolved into one of my favorite characters across the films. Because mm-hmm. yeah. his story really is as tragic as Godzilla's is. He won. And that's he's such a, a cool parallel. He's a very, at first, like an off-putting character. Like, he's very reserved and he doesn't want to deal with anybody. And it kind of seems like at first he's just kind of a jerk. But mm-hmm. really, he's like... He he's got so much he's dealing with, and then on top of that, like like you're talking, I was talking, mentioning the brief love tw- triangle part, but um, it's kind of that's even tragic in itself that like the woman that he's supposed to marry, like, as much as like you you understand her, uh, is it Amiko? You understand Amiko. You also feel bad for Sarazawa, that, you know, this is the person he you know he was supposed to marry. And she doesn't even want to really... It's not that she doesn't want to be around him, but it just it's like another small detail that even though he never truly like is told about it from what I can tell, uh, I'm sure he understood what was going on, and I think that just adds more to the tragedy. And probably, I mean, I don't know. There, his story in general is rough, and the fact that he, he wanted to go down with his weapon... To the point where, you know, he cuts the wire when they pull the wire up. Uh, that, that, you know, it, it hits pretty hard. The end of the movie yeah. as a whole. Um, it, I mean, I, it's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words right now. But in, in summary, I mean, there's not much I can detract from this film. You could go with the effects, but the effects were certainly great at the time, uh, and still hold up for me in some ways now. And beyond that, there's not a lot. It's not. It's not a film that's extremely long. I wouldn't even say it's hard to get through. I would say, compared to other Godzilla films, it's not very rewatchable. But. You can sit down for 90 minutes and experience this film, and it's not going to, you know, it's going to make you feel things, and it's not going to necessarily be a very uplifting experience, but it's certainly experience, I I say, especially if you're a Godzilla fan, but even if you just have some slight interest and you happen to be listening to this, clearly, clearly you should watch it. I think we all agree on that. Right. Mm. Um, Like, the end of the film... It doesn't feel like a victory at all. It feels more like an omen for what could happen to humanity in the future. Yeah. And we'll get to it soon enough, but I feel like that's where Godzilla Raids again kind of kind of is insulting in a way where it kind of just like dunks on this whole story and kind of... Mm. I, and again, that's something we'll get to later. Uh, but one thing we should—I don't—if y'all have some final thoughts on the original nineteen fifty-four film, go ahead and get those out of the way. But after that, we should go ahead and discuss the uh, the adaptation with Raymond Burr. Um, not thought, but I want to tell a story. Um, it's behind-the-scenes stories. Um, producer Tomoyuki Tanaka was a was arrested during production. He was arrested? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what happened. Um, He and one of the special effects supervisors were on top of a roof of a shopping center, and they were 
looking, scouting out locations for Japan, they were talking about what set pieces it had, what buildings that would Godzilla would destroy. They're like, oh, the capital should definitely like be torn apart, why not? And while that's happening, a security guard overheard them and took him to custody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think the capital should be destroyed now? Do you? Okay. <laughs> ah, my country, you don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, especially with what they'd went through. Like, as as much as that's a funny story, I can also imagine that even the, what is this nine years after what happened, the tensions are still high in this country. And let's be honest, at this point, especially before the World War ended, this country was not a a very good country, for lack of a better term. It wasn't... They had a lot of... It was dark times for Japan. Right. And, you know, the threw up, you know, someone destroying, you know, any anything in Japan at that time, it's like, you're, you're definitely going to be aggressive about it. You're going to be on... completely on defense mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... That's a again, that is, like, I, I do think that's kind of a funny story, but it's also like a... I mean... I, I can't I can't imagine going through what happened there, but um, mm-hmm. Will, do you have any final thoughts before we move on to uh, King of the Monsters? Yeah, just real fast. Another parallel that I thought was really interesting for this film to have was having the and I'm I'm spacing on his name right now, but the zoologist or the paleontologist in the Dr. film. Doctor Yuane. Uh, Doctor Yuane. Yeah. I really liked his character arc, too, and just his whole thought process of, you know, don't, don't kill Godzilla. Godzilla is the only creature we've ever ever seen of this magnitude. And the one line that stood out to me this time that I don't think it ever caught on to before is he says, why don't we study his resistance to the radiation? And I don't know why, but that just that hit hard this time around rewatching it. it it's so much to where I, I typed it out and made it a point to bring up but i just thought that was i don't know how i never caught that before but that really stood out to me as another line is that that, is that sort of like something like like you feel like was like a almost like a connection to like you know like the people had been suffering from this this radiation and something that they would like to learn because of the 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 trauma they yeah they yeah exactly you know actually that reminds me one small thing i think i'm not sure if y'all know this but the reason Godzilla's skin is the way it is is to reflect the uh, the scarring. Yeah, that, that's oh. that's the next point I was actually going to move on to. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, that definitely was an interesting aspect of its design. And then uh, the only other thing I'll say for this is uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Hail to the King or not, the documentary that Kyle Yount did. But they touch on the pack. They did some interviews with some of the people involved with this, and they said there's a scene during Tokyo's destruction to where Godzilla destroys the movie theater. And it was said in the documentary that some of the people watching the movie were actually in that theater watching the film and they ran out of the theater in fear because of how realistic it was back then. I heard that. I do remember that story. Um, it kind of reminds me of the, st- I, the story of the first film where it's just like a three-minute film where a train comes at the screen and everyone tried to move out of the mm. way. But, like, at this point, like, movies had been a thing for such a while, but, like, I can kind of see, like, again, like, talking about the state of the country's in, you see the theater that you're in being destroyed by a monster. And, I mean, it, it's it's laughable now to think that they that would happen or like, mm. they would freak out about that. But, you know, this is, it's hard to, 
it's hard to be in their shoes. But, um, yeah, I think as a whole that kind of covers, uh, covers this little bit. I, you know, not that ratings matter much. I, I gave this a 10 out of 10, but that, that was just, I mean, I felt giving it any less felt kind of Mm. a disservice personally. Um. Let's see. Okay. Well, I guess we could go ahead and talk about the uh, the uh, the adaptation, which probably we won't discuss quite as long. <laughs> but what I should say is, I kind of came into this being like, you know, of the you know of the uh, the opinion that oh man, this this adaptation, this adaptation just trashed on such a great movie. But really, after watching it again. While I definitely think it loses some of the heart and some of the, you know, the tragedy of the original film, it's not, I wouldn't call it disrespectful, and I would say that personally, it's still a good monster flick, and it's still, if, it still carries the themes of the original, if not a bit watered down. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Would I be correct to assume that this version of the film was all of ours first exposure to the original film, period? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a, an interesting thought. Because, I mean, this was this would have been the second Godzilla movie I had ever seen in my life. Would have been the King of the Monsters cut of the movie. Yeah, I have and, a lot uh, of Obviously, it's very obvious now what scenes they added for Raymond Burr. But back then, I couldn't tell. <laughs> There's this one scene, I will say, that where he's supposed to be talking to Dr. Uh, Yamane. And they like they have the Japanese actor, who is obviously not Dr. Yamane, face away <laughs> from the camera. And he shakes his hand. And it's kind of like... It's, it's kind of silly. I'll say Raymond Burr, he kind of cracks me up. Like, he, he, he holds his own like the, uh, uh, as a character... As, as an actor. You know, he, he holds his own. And mm-hmm. he... Uh, I find him to be likable, at the least, um, and uh, that scene especially was kind of funny. It's it, it's funny to see him where you know this guy is talking to like no one almost this entire <laughs> film besides that one like navy captain or admiral they add in just so like he can have someone to talk to. <laughs> and then I, I I swear there was some like bromance going on with them. Where like there was this one scene, like when Godzilla comes over the hill, his head comes over the hill. I swear he holds on to that admiral's hip <laughs> for like thirty seconds as they look up in in awe, and then he picks him up because the admiral had like broken his leg or something. And it was just like it's it was, it's was pretty funny, but yeah, no, um. I'd ship it. Yeah, I think he did, did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'd ship it. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny to think that uh, most of his co-stars for that film would have filmed their scenes two years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's the way I look yeah. at this film. Um, for, I pretty much imagine it as a outsider's view of the situation. Like, in a way, it's like, how do I describe it? Like, in a way, it's kind of like describing the events of Hiroshima and Nagasaki versus Americans, in a way. Um, or or any of the horrors the Japanese experienced at the time. Like, an outside viewers look inside, you know? 
that, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty fair. Um, I, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Like, you kind of have him looking over it. Uh, one thing that kind of just came to mind that I don't want to lose is that the thought that the opening of this film, maybe it's due to nostalgia, because I have the opening nostalgia where the... The, uh, the, like that little track is playing as, like, they go mm-hmm. over the dead city, and then you see Raymond Burr reach over to the dead body, and then he just passes out. Like, that scene, I did really enjoy. I really enjoyed that opening as much as, you know, I think, I think it was a good, you know, in storytelling, it's always good to have a hook at the beginning yeah. of it. And I think if there's anything that I would say is sort of an improvement and i, I kind of it, it hurts to say it i would say that's probably an improvement on the original just because it kind of gives you like so okay you know something destroyed that city and did that yeah. and what is it yeah um and i do think the, the original kind of has enough of a hook as it's as its own at the time like you have like just the stomps and the war like uh, is enough to kind of tell you something's not a not going right here but um i do really love that opening with the the uh the king of the monsters version i'm inclined to agree yeah that that was a note i had made as well that i i almost prefer that opening and you know thinking about it from the american perspective you know you had king kong in 33 to where you know he he went on a bit of a rampage in New York, but New York was still standing at the end of the day. And then you had the beast from 20,000 Fathoms to where, you know, he destroyed the theme park or whatnot. And starting out this film with the destruction of an entire city, I think is all... a fantastic way of, okay, now now what did this? I want to know what did this. You could almost say it looks like an atomic bomb just dropped <laughs> on that city. Um, which... I say that kind of jokingly, but also I believe that was definitely the the implication. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, uh, what was it? One thing. Okay, so yes. So now that we're, we're, you know, we covered it all, we're all in 100% agreement. The Godzilla King of the Monsters American adaptation is far superior to the original. <laughs> Burn the heretic. <laughs> um, no, but... um. I'd say, uh, yeah, I think it's a reasonable adaptation. I understand. Obviously, I would not recommend anyone nowadays to watch that first, but it's certainly something worth checking out if you want a different look on the film. Um, and I think that, you know, it's actually shorter too. So, yeah. Uh, which, again, is part of the problem, but also. It kind of gives you. It's almost like a. It's almost like a. Uh, how should I say it? It's almost like a, a a mystery science theater, except for the guy's actually there and it's not funny. How about that? Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> it's like it's like a. It's kind of like a. It's a commentary. It's like a commentary when you have hear hear like a like someone like you watch a commentary on like a a show. Like a, or something like that, like where they summarize the show and then analyze yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like watching that. That kind of goes back uh, when to when you haven't watched a show. That kind of goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, an outsider's view. Like, um, it's pretty much him telling the world about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do love there's a few scenes that are very, like, where he's, like, talking into the mic. Um, and he's trying to explain to these people, these people from America. I'm saying a prayer. He's seeing. A prayer for the mm-hmm. whole world. Yeah, honestly, that quote, like, is pretty memorable in my mind. Uh, and then I think he says something about the uh, the tragic innocence of the of, of Godzilla at the end of it. And there, there's a few lines he has in there that are really good. It is just weird that he's kind of this like that awkward guy standing in the corner and recording his little tape while everybody <laughs> like the, the rest of the movie's going on. But um, they did what they could. And as I've expressed to y'all before, I think this is far superior to what the original Gamera American adaptation did. Oh boy, where in Instead of, instead of incorporating the Americans into the into the story, they just would cut away to like an American like talk show host talk about, oh man, do you see that giant turtle there? That's pretty crazy. <laughs> like um, from what I've heard, um, Raymond Burr actually has a great respect for the original Godzilla film. Immense respect. He came back in the uh, in Godzilla nineteen eighty five, which was the American version of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla 1984, which is Will's Godzilla favorite movie, or favorite Godzilla movie. <laughs> um, he originally ref- he originally ref- <laughs> he originally refused to be in it. He originally refused to be the 1984 version, 85 version, because the original script made it more of a comedy. And he thought it was incredibly disrespectful to this character. Yeah, and I some people still I got still believe that the version that came out still kind of goofed on it a little too much like i remember there's a line where the guy's like uh, that's that's some uh that's some renovation plan they got there um which oh speaking of that is one of the movies i have not actually seen i have not seen godzilla 1984 slash 5 um which i'll probably i don't know if i want to watch both versions but when we get to it i guess i'll i might go ahead and watch both versions so we can do a similar thing as we did here if if i can find both versions because i know they're not going to be quite as easy to find i don't know i might be sick for that episode <laughs> if, okay if you're gonna watch it bring can dr pepper with you okay <laughs> yes hey for those at home uh it's Godzilla 1984 is not actually Will's favorite Godzilla movie. It is, in fact, quite the opposite. Really? Um, just so you can get the humor. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, uh, and we, we got, we, uh, I don't know if you ever made your list, Tyler, but we send it in to each other on our, our personal messaging, but we, we listed the, our favorite Godzilla movies. Um, and I, th- Will had told me already but otherwise, I would probably be shocked because I know there's some people who are huge uh, stands of that movie, particularly uh, uh, Goji Goji fan ninety three, um, who not sure where he is. If if you're listening, Goji fan ninety three, you're welcome on the podcast. You can make your reappearance. Um, it's fine. <laughs> we miss you, buddy. Definitely um, huge fans here. Honestly, yeah, he's, speaking yeah. like yeah, he's he's definitely he's definitely. Uh, gonna be happy after I I whiffed on him at the beginning of this, but um, uh, <laughs> what a what a what a, what a more uh, what's a more fitting way to open in this podcast? Um, Riffing on demand one nine five four. Yes, yes, probably. I was watching a video of his today. Either way, that's a random thought. Um, any final thoughts on uh the 
the Raymond Burr Godzilla King of the Monsters nineteen fifty six film. It's starring Raymond Burr. I could be mistaken Burr. on this, but did they? It was something that always confused me growing up when I learned that there was a Japanese cut in the King of the Monsters. Did they remove the scene of Godzilla at the aviary? When he's behind the birdcage, is that a scene that was removed from King of the Monsters? I think it is. Now that you say that, I think it is. Yeah. I can't I would love it. to know the reasoning behind that. Because, I mean, I understand some of the things they removed. Obviously, tensions are high. You don't, you know, they, they viewed the film as propaganda here. You don't exactly want to incorporate all of the atomic bomb stuff. But that's, because I remember seeing the case at a Barnes & Noble or whatever for the 54 version and seeing that and going i've never seen that what is that i know why so, i don't i mean birds you know it's just it was too unrealistic i mean birds aren't <laughs> real obviously so like why would no, they no 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 you both phone? got wrong the birds were in the way of the shot <laughs> oh it was an unintentional shot okay <laughs> yeah the birds weren't supposed to be there <laughs> they were correcting it i see i understand yeah i mean listen we we've established the uh, the Raymond Burr cut. It's like the Snyder cut of Justice League. It's a much superior version of the film. <laughs> it's like the anti Snyder cut. <laughs> okay. My final thought. It's better than Cosilla. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. 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 That's. And I think we have one more segment to do on the show. Uh, briefly describe it. This is going to be a segment called Pitch Meeting. Um, it's going to be one but most likely non-kaiju related pitch where <laughs> one or two of us is going to pitch to someone who has not played a particular series or done a particular thing, watch a partic- particular movie. Um, so, that being said, uh, me and Tyler are both pretty huge. I would say, I'm not sure how huge of a fan you consider yourself, Tyler, but I'm definitely in love with Metal Gear Rising of Vengeance. Um, yeah, baby. Might be one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, whether, uh, I think that the internet definitely had its fun with it. Um, but I think that it's a game that, this, I don't, Tyler, have you played any of the other Metal Gear games? I have not, unfortunately. But I know the backstory, you know, with the Patriots and whatnot. Yeah. But, for me, it's the same. I know a rough idea of what happened in the other ones, but this was my first game. As I'm, I'm, I like character action and 3D action games, or whatever you want to call them, hack and slashers. Yeah. That's probably my favorite genre of video games. This game definitely felt filled that itch by a long shot. Um, and so we're going to go ahead... And as spoiler-free as possible, we're going to explain to Will why he should play Metal Gear Rising of Vengeance. You want to go first? Alrighty. Um, and I guess I could preface real fast. I don't really have any experience with Metal Gear at all. It's kind of a series I've avoided because I've heard it was a more stealth-oriented. I'm not a big fan of stealth games. I think I played about 30 minutes of uh, Metal Gear Solid Five phantom pain or something like that and then i think i turned off my playstation and went to bed mm. so that's that's kind of my experience well and i played a little bit of the original yeah. for the super nintendo 
And what's interesting is I've heard Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain is one of the greatest, like, the, at least the gameplay-wise, is one of the greatest stealth games of all time. So, you, that really shows that, yeah, and I'm not a big stealth person either. But what I'll start with is in Metal Gear Rising, there is stealth, but it's very optional. Which means <laughs> that you, and, and the stealth is, I don't know, have you played a Spider-Man PS4? Yep. Yeah, I have. Okay. It's pretty similar to that, I would almost say, except for in Spider-Man PS4, you can fight, but you're you're not as tanked out, I guess you would say. And this, okay. if you if you know the combat system, when you get caught, it really doesn't matter, which for some people is a downside, but for someone like we're discussing are not big fans of stealth, you can go in and you'll go like get those like like in Spider-Man PS4, it's a good example where like you have the stealth kills where you jump down and knock them out. And this mm-hmm. is very similar. You're playing as Raiden, who's a cyborg, by the way. This is a cyborg world, basically. Cyborg ninja. It's, it takes place... Yes. This takes place after the uh, the Metal Gear series, so it doesn't really spoil oh, you okay. on the rest of it. It takes uh, place after the fourth game. Yeah, okay, well, I guess the fifth game... Well, yeah, the fourth, the fourth game was the last in the timeline, though. Yeah. So... Uh, as far as I know, because the fifth game takes place before... Well, whatever, we're not getting to Metal Gear. Metal Gear <laughs> too, too, has too messed up of a timeline for us to worry about that right now. Essentially, it's a spin-off that doesn't... Like, if they make more Metal Gear games, they said that this is going to be a different universe. Which is why I was really hoping for a sequel, but we'll get to that later. Um, but, uh... Yeah, the stealth... You Basically, you have those very simple stealth mechanics... Uh, and you, you're always usually from like a higher angle, which I believe the director said is because they wanted to ride in the field, not like a snake who's being tactical, but more of like a predator who's hunting. Uh, oh, but when you get okay. discovered, you get discovered, it's immediate fight time because really the game <laughs> knows that you're not trying to be play stealth. And if you do complete stealth missions, it'll like reward you a little bit for it. But really, uh... <laughs> That's not the point. You can run right into a mission. In most missions, until you get to the harder difficulties, you don't really need the stealth. Um, so that's my first point is what I'll bring up, just based on your personal preferences and why you should play. Uh, okay, my point. The game is very political, but in a way, it's not like, oh, you got to pick one side. But it's more of an eye-opener, really. Like You're like... Oh, it, main politics behind it, it's the reason why we fight wars. And when you mm. look at it, you're like, oh, damn, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> but at the same time, the game does not take itself that seriously. Yes, that's true. It's, so it's kind of like there are some moments that are very, like, relevant and very, like, the, the type of... Uh, shock you get when you find yourself somewhat agreeing with what the main villain says in some of his things is interesting but at the same time and i don't want to go into it because i want to leave you as unspoiled as possible for this sure because uh it uh tyler if tyler will know if you come into this unspoiled it'll definitely catch you off guard uh who it is but um he's a very interesting character in both a very goofy way, like he's Tyler said, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, ex- don't don't expect your physics to be fairly realistic in this game. We'll say that. <laughs> if you have any questions on why or how something works, just remember they're cyborgs, and that's your answer. Um, but uh, 
that being said, the cutscenes are very fun. It's there's a lot of goofy moments, but there is some decent like political commentary, which the Metal Gear series, as far as I know, is known for. So it's kind of keeping in tradition in that way. But also, um, the next thing I'm going to add on is probably one of the best boss like casts and boss fights lineups in general, mm. like in any game, like. You have so many memorable boss fights mechanically and uh, personality wise. You know, they. Yes, yes. And then on top of that, even further, the themes, the music. Oh my god, the music. It's. It's peak video game music. Like, here's the funny thing about the composer for this game. Guess what he worked on prior to this? Guess. Uh. I'm assuming something very not similar at all to Metal Gear. Maybe a children's game or show or something he like that? He worked on two sci-fi original films, SS Doom Trooper and Boa vs. Python. I did not know that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's funny. I mean, okay, you go from a, like, not even a B-grade movie, a C-grade movie to this. It, it, you would never guess, and it's just so... Like, if you're going to have... like. Let me just say, any one of these main boss themes are good enough to be a final boss theme. Oh, yes, wow. yes, well, yeah, yes. The that's... music definitely makes a game for me, so that that's definitely intriguing. By the way, Tyler, I don't know if you've heard the. There's a couple themes that play. They're not even boss themes. They just play during certain moments in the story yeah. during you're fighting the enemies. And like the one of them I found was Dark Skies that I had sent you earlier. That's my favorite. I love that theme. It's my favorite. It's not even a boss theme. It's my favorite about the casual combat themes. Yes, for sure. Um, so I, one thing I'm gonna, I'm this is I guess this is not a spoiler, as much as it's kind of just to illustrate our point further. I'm not gonna sure. tell you about any of the boss fights specifically, but what I should tell you is how the bosses they're kind of like in stages. There's like, a, you know, I mean, boss fights, you know, in stages in video games isn't revolutionary. But when you fight the boss at first, you know, you get your opening music cue, you get whatever cutscene that's building it up, you're getting hyped. Um, in general, the genre is heavy electric metal rock, something like that. Like, it's, it's the type of thing where people write it off sometimes because it sounds very over the top and cheesy, but it mm. fits the game so well. It's so in line with, like, the cyborgs, ninjas, like, crazy stuff. Um, and then you get this music going, and you're playing, and it times so well with all the things you're, uh, all, all the fighting, you're getting into it. Then the next stage, it'll, you know, you'll have a, some sort of break or something that breaks up the stage, and then you're fighting, you're fighting again, and it's getting even more hype. Um, but finally, the, once the climax of the fight comes, that's when the vocals kick mm -hmm. in. And they always kick in at the right time that, like, you get, like, you, you got the goosebumps, your ch the chills are going, and you're in the zone. Like, it mm. complements the gameplay so much. And once, I mean, there's a few specific moments I'm thinking of, particularly an opening moment. Uh, uh, I'll just go ahead and just for Tyler, I think Tyler knows what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I do. But the rules of nature moment is so, though, is so good. And I, I don't, I want to, I would like you to be able to play this unspoiled because I feel like almost everybody's been spoiled by memes from it. But 
I, I've watched, like, I think probably 10 or 20, well, maybe 20 things after. I've watched a lot of people on YouTube just to see their reaction to that moment. Mm. And the moment is almost always a big, giddy smile and a, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then, uh, and that, that's, that's all I'm going to say on that part. The music's great and the bosses are great. That's the 100% the strong suits of this game. And then just some other things. So I think really the only thing I know about this game... Well, actually, I don't even know if this is even from this game. Is this game where the huge jacked dude with the glasses and the suit comes from? Is he from this game? Yes. Yes, but I, I, he's, a, he's a character I'm trying not to talk to you too much about. Okay. You've probably seen some memes from him. Uh, but, like... I guess the fact that you've seen him kind of will already kind of spoil it, but it's kind of the type of thing where if I tell you more, it'll solidify it in your head, so I'm just not going to say anything and hope that you forget about it till it happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, one thing I want to point out that's a pop plus, in my opinion. <clears throat> the memes. <laughs> no, like, outside the game, they're enjoyable, but the memes, memes are a big plot point in game. Huh. Yeah, but every time they say memes, like, if you take it out of context, it's so Exactly. <laughs> You're just... Because <laughs> it's like they'll, they'll say something and it makes sense. Because, you know, memes just means, like, something that spreads, like an idea that spreads. That's a technical definition of what a meme is in real life. So, like, a meme is, like, literally could be, like, religion, for example. But, um, I, I think that's accurate. But it's a, it's a thought process. It's an idea. But whenever they say it, they'll always say out of context. So they'll be like, um, they'll just say, uh, like, their memes have split. We're spreading our memes find ourselves. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) or it's like, um, (laughs) your memes. (laughs) (laughs) And those are real lines from the game. (laughs) But it's like, it's really, like I said, it takes those like or Tyler mentioned, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but also it does have something to say at the same time. Um, one thing I should mention is all of Ryan's lines are great just because he always talks in that voice. Uh, that's his <laughs> voice. It's like that raspy anime, like, mm. edgy, edgy voice. You've seen what Ryan looks like. He has the white hair and, like, the, the he's a cyborg. And, yeah, you know, that's I think I know what Wait, before like. we go any further, uh, Ryan for Smash. Right? <laughs> yeah, he was in a... He was in a PlayStation All Stars, which I know was a pretty rough game. It's not the same, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like yeah, but oh, go ahead. You know, no, no, no. you go ahead. Like this game is the very (laughs) definition of a cult game. Hmm. It's like it's not a game that's very popular, but there's a you know community behind it. Think of it like a cult movie, like um, like um, like Tremors. You know, a movie that isn't well known, but it's really damn enjoyable. Hmm. What I should say about it though is that if you look at it, it sold pretty darn well at the time, and it actually got like. Like mainly positive reviews. Like there's oh, very no, few got reviews that give it below like an eighty percent. <laughs> uh, I think that it's more of it's kind of a lost to time oh, so type does of he thing. Know how to invite if that makes sense? Back into the like, because it was like does the even know I would say it's probably the, the best game of its genre on the PlayStation Three so. era. 
Yeah, I think like, so. Like, I that's that's my opinion. I think it's better I'm than just any other game of that genre on the PlayStation yeah, I got my era. Going but I too. think that a lot of people forgot about it because the PS4. Oh, no, no, it came no, out no. in 2013. Oh, there you are. That was not the right thing to you, do. You disappeared <laughs> for a sec. I was scared. I was all alone. Why did you leave me? <laughs> well, I hit call thinking that that was going to bring him into the call, but oh, dear, he is. Hello. Oh, oh, okay. So there was some there's some issues there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was I was going on this full rant. I was I was, you know, I mean, it'll be in the final audio. So we'll just go ahead and uh, I I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, essentially, okay. I was saying I think it was one of the best games of the PS3 era. For it, especially, I think it would be the best game of the PS3 era for its genre, in my opinion. Oh, uh, okay. And that's a pretty a big thing to say, but I definitely think it deserves that, in my opinion. Uh, and I think it mainly was kind of lost to time, as in it came out in 2013, and the next year the PS4 came out, and then yeah, you know, like and especially in that genre, Devil May Cry 5 came out in 2019, and as much as I'm a huge fan of this game, I would definitely say Devil May Cry 5 is probably the perfect character action game. It's pro- it's like the perfection of that genre. So, can a lot of we... people aren't going to be thinking oh. about this game that came out in 2013 at that point. Can we have a moment of silence for the possibility of Amelgar Rising 2 because Konami won't get their collective heads out their own asses? Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a. At the how the game ends, I so wanted a sequel, and then I realized, oh yeah, this game came out in 2013, and it's 2020 right now, <laughs> and it's there's probably now the thing is they've left it open, and it's a separate, it's almost like a separate entity. Plat- Platinum, who made the Bayonetta games, and came from the people who made the original Devil May Cry games to over overly simplify that whole deal. Platinum, they are they make these bangers of that genre and they made this game and all it would take would be konami to sign off to platinum to make another game and have kojima oversee it again that's all it would take and it's just it's like a really hard deal where they got to get a couple people together and if after that now i'm not saying that that would be as good as the first game but especially with the current genre like you got the ps5 coming out now you know you got the new the new next this next gen console this this game has so much potential on these con- new consoles now with like well so yeah. yeah it's like well well considering how now the animosity between Kojima and Konami nowadays and how you know Konami you know did Metal Gear survive just ew mm. Yeah. yeah, and again, I don't know a whole lot about the Metal Gear series. It's it, it, There's been some ups and downs, for sure. Oh, that game was pretty much a generic zombie survival game where you have to pay if you want to make an extra save slot. Oh, that's great. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't really know. I'm trying to figure out where to wrap up our thoughts on Metal Gear Rising. Essentially, uh, I... I believe, do you have a PS3 or Xbox 360? I do have a PS3, but I also know that it is on Steam. It's actually it's on sale this weekend. 
instead of oh. thirty dollars, it's on sale for like six bucks. <laughs> if you ha- yeah, if you have a gaming computer, it'll run. Now here's the thing. Another great thing about this game that I just remembered is on the PS3, it runs at sixty frames per second almost all the time. That's oh, very wow. that's crazy very, actually. Yeah, that's very hard to do. Uh, but on the computer, the sky's the limit. I'm sure. <laughs> um. I mean, oh, yeah, sure especially you... for a 2013 game, as long as it's optimized okay. I mean, this conversation definitely has me leaning towards going ahead and snagging it for that uh, sale for deal. S- for six bucks, for sure. I was going to say you could get it for 25 bucks or 20 bucks for the PS3, no problem. But if you can get it for mm-hmm. six bucks on a computer that's going to run it even better, there's no reason not to. Mm. You're in for an experience. Now, granted, this is not a... Well, you know, we're talking about Monster Hunter. This is not that type of experience. This is a eight-hour. You're gonna, you know, if you you could probably play it in one day if you really wanted to. Yeah. Uh, do I suggest it? I'm not sure. It depends if you got the time. But it's it's an experience. Is what I should say. I'd say about 16 hours for me. I'm typically slow with games. <laughs> one thing I want to point out with this game is since you can see version, there are mods, and if I recall correctly, there's a Pepsi Man mod for it. Yeah, <laughs> I kid you not. Someone made a whole modded version just called Pepsi Man Two. That's great. That's I actually great. think I've seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> hey, real quick, real quick. Last thought on Metal Gear Rising. Will for sure play that tutorial a couple times and make sure you know how to actually parry, because that will help you so much. That'll save your I life. I got to the. Okay. The Blade Wolf fight, and I got stuck so bad on that. Like, I played that, like, mm. 20 times. Because the game's kind of easy at the beginning, and then it finally drops, like, the first semi-boss in, like, the second mission. And if you don't know how to parry, you're going to have a bad time. And <laughs> I actually saw someone who I was watching the playthrough of who somehow skirted past that one by just trying to run and dodge because there's no real dodge mechanic it's all about pairing it's all about being the aggressor and pairing um okay so this person was trying to like do do the running around in circles and he somehow got through that fight but eventually like i was just like you you look he was he was in for a rough time and at some point you're gonna have to learn how to parry try to do it as soon as possible to save yourself some headaches and some time especially with the monsoon boss fight Oh, yeah. I don't know how you get to the monsoon boss fight if you don't know how to parry. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, my most satisfying moment in this game is I played hard mode Ditchstream's Jam for the first time playing on hard mode. And because I had mastered the parry so well, uh, and I I, I, I know was I got a no-hit run on him on my first hard mode try against him. Ooh. That was so satisfying. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. Uh, and just... Not to go in detail, Jetstream Jet, Jet Sam is a very attractive man, <laughs> and he is he is my he is my favorite. But he is also on the first time you play him, he's gonna be a pretty pretty hard boss fight. I remember I played him. I didn't have any bonus health packs the first time I played him, so I had basically the normal amount of health, and I played against him like 30 times. So I think by the time I got the hard mode, I had health packs in store, and I had memorized his attack pattern because he had, like I said, he didn't hit me once in that fight because I was so like, <laughs> it's like 
for me, I've noticed the bosses that I'm horrible at at first, I play so many times that I get really good at them. Mm. But but then I play against bosses that I beat on normal mode the first time, and I have more trouble with them because I have less experience against that boss, if uh, that makes sense. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Either way, play Metal Gear Rising, uh, you should you should stream it. I would I would be mm. there the whole time if you stream it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one I could play on stream. I would stream it, but you know, Twitch isn't really working for me. It's the bit rate issues. Mm. Yeah, for sh- you know. Speaking of, uh are you are you still streaming other things right now? Not currently. I'm waiting till uh, I fix Tyler? the Not currently. I'm waiting till I fix the current issues with my computer. Okay, well, either way, uh, make sure to go to Tyrant Gojira, which should be, there should be a link here, you're gonna have the name on, on the video somewhere, uh, go to his Twitch and follow, uh, and as well as you can see, uh, Will at CreationZilla, I believe he streams on YouTube, um, yep, Twitch and YouTube, oh, you do both, okay, you Twitch, that's pretty cool, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, I do not stream, but you're you're likely watching this on the Son of Sibo YouTube channel. If not, uh, go go to that YouTube channel. I put out videos when I feel like it. But um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm, I'm I'm working hard on some some videos. It's just that uh, li- life's life's a little busy right now. But that being said. I think we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up here, boys. I know it's a little sudden, but we are definitely way over the uh, the time frame we were looking for. It happens. <laughs> but that being said, I think I think an hour and a half uh, podcast isn't a bad one time at all. No, hell no. Nope, not at all. Now, I know I tried to plug y'all guys' things, but if you have anything else to, to put in there before we get... Uh, we go ahead and wrap it up. Now's the time. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much it for me. You know, I've got my YouTube and I've got my Twitch and then uh, Creations all on Facebook if you want updates for either of those. Drink your old teen. Uh, <laughs> say again. <laughs> I, thought, I, I oh. thought that was funny. No, I didn't hear you. I was I was like trying to figure out what you said. Oh, I said drinker Ovaltine. Oh, okay. Christmas story. No. Oh, oh. No, I, I, see, another film I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, all right, guys. Well, this was the uh, Brozilla podcast where we don't new do news. We just uh, talk entertainment. So uh, share and subscribe. <laughs> Till next time. And we'll see you guys next year in 1955. Join us next time in 1955 as we take a look at Godzilla Raids again. Until then...